Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Regency Winter Week 2. I am Tabitha Kinlan, and I have my usual wonderful group of book lovers. Um, We'll be discussing Frederica by Georgette Hare. Um, Before we get started, I believe, Sheila, you have some helpful words for us. Yes, ma'am, I do. If you wish to mute or unmute on a PC, it's Alt-A. On a Mac, it is Command-Shift-A. On your smartphone, it is on the lower left. And on a uh, landline, which nobody yet is on a landline, it would be star six. And if you wish to raise your hand, and all of that is a toggle, um, if you wish to raise your hand to make a comment, it's on the PC, it would be Alt-Y. On the Mac, it's option Y. On your smartphone, it is under more options and then tap the raise hand button. And then on a landline, it is star nine. So that's pretty much it, ma'am. Okay, great. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Um, it's so lovely to see um, see my repeat offenders here, the usual group of, of wonderful book lovers. Um, if anyone out there in ACB Radio Land is intrigued and wants to join and throw in their two cents, feel free. We've always got room at our ginormous book table. Um, so as I said, we are working our way through Frederica by Georgette Hare. Um, last week, we read the first seven chapters, and um, today and I realized there's a really handy way this month to remember how many chapters we're supposed to have read each Monday. Um, It matches the day of the month because of the way that four and seven work out. Um, So today is the 14th and we should have read through chapter 14 and next week, the 21st, we'll have read through chapter 21. So I was very excited when I figured that out. <laughs> what an omen. <laughs> I know, so propitious. <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, so what we have here, um, you know, is uh, Frederica, our, our sort of our protagonist, but um, we were talking last week that we felt like um, the, the Marquis Elvis joke um, is kind of getting more play than, than our title character. Um, we're getting to know him pretty well, and and Frederica is, um, you know, she's there, um, but she's a little bit. I don't want to really, really say it in the background, but um, we we haven't really investigated her character into the same depth as we have um, Alva Stoke, I think. Um, but we're getting to know a little bit more about her in um, in the the next seven chapters. Um, so we're now sort of, you know, halfway through the book. Um, so we do have some more character development going on. Um, so I, a couple things jumped out at me when I was reading it, but of course I want to start, um, with, with you guys. What did, what did you think? Any new revelations or concerns for the characters or favorite bits? Um, some more funny parts. I just, I'm really loving the Well, this is Peggy, and I guess I'll say um, one of the things I thought was really interesting was that, um, uh, <coughs> sorry, that um, that the Marquis seems to have determined that, um, he seems to have understood, 
the sister better than uh, Frederica mm. did. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Take some water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought that was interesting that <clears throat> he ends up telling her, Frederica, that... Uh, and I can never, <clears throat> I can never remember the sister's name, Caress or something. Caress. Caress. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know that she doesn't want a high high born guy necessarily. She doesn't want to marry Duke or something. She really would be happy with someone much uh, much less intimidating or whatever. You know. Yeah, yeah, we have that towards the the end of of these chapters where um, Frederica and um, and Albert Stoker are, are kind of talking and and he's sort of hinting, you know, maybe the things you want for Karis aren't the yeah, things yeah. that she wants for herself. Um, and, right. Yeah, and Frederica is kind of surprised by that, and it's kind of funny because you know Karis is like this vision. You know, she's the most beautiful girl that anyone yes, has ever yes. seen, but she's. A wonderful seamstress and Frederica tells us yeah. she knows how to dress a joint like she's yeah. good in the kitchen yeah. <laughs> um, so she's sort of this um, picture of domesticity um, even though she seems uh, you know just this, this beautiful creature who should never get her hands dirty um, but I thought it was interesting because of, of him having that insight I guess that's uh, is what surprised me uh, was that he kind of had that insight instead of um, Frederica kind of realizing it. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and then he kind of walks or walks it back a little bit when he sees that Frederick is kind of alarmed mm-hmm. by the you know the possibility yeah, yeah. that she's sort of um, that she might be wrong. It's like oh you know I could be wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. But, I think that point is um, really interesting. It just kind of made me realize or think that. Maybe Frederica considers, you know, Frederica is more like a parent to Karis. I mean, yes, they're sisters, but Frederica functions in that role as a parent. And so I think she's going to have more ambition for Karis than, I mean, there is a sisterly love, of course, but I think Frederica is kind of like her parent in a sense. Yeah, and I mean, Frederica seems to view herself in that way, right? She's sort of always talking about how she is, um, you know, she's the ripe old age of 24, and um, she is equipped to be a chaperone. And um, and I don't know if if everybody picked up on this, but um, women's clothes um, have a bit of visual coding to them. and so when, when Frederica goes to the ball, she insists on wearing a little cap on her head. And the cap is meant to indicate that she is um, out of circulation, um, yeah. that she has, you know, crossed into old maid territory. And <laughs> on the she, shelf. Exactly. <laughs> um, but you, you see, we see that the men ignore it and they ask her to dance anyway. <laughs> um, but she really seems to be you know, hastening towards this matronly role um, before her time, um, which Alba Stoke frequently reminds her that, you know, 24 is not old. She still <laughs> has a chance of, you know, getting a husband. But I love that phrase. You know, she says, I'm not on the catch for a husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, she definitely seems to see herself as more of, the, the parent when it comes to her younger siblings than, than she is a sister. So it's possible that's clouded her judgment a bit. Uh, comment, Irene? Yes. 
getting into really fine detail here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Please. I had a terrible, I had a terrible time. I was insisting on reading chapters seven to 14. And of course I couldn't resist. I kept going. But back <laughs> I, to I stopped myself just barely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't stop myself. Uh, interesting. I know from the reading uh, that I have done that young women who come out uh, at a ball, even at a private ball, uh, such as the Marquis put on for uh, Karis, those young women, unless they are approved by the ladies at Almax, which is the big marriage mart where you go to dance, those women are not allowed to waltz unless they are approved by um, uh, Jersey, uh, Lady Jersey and Drummond and all those other important uh, people that run the uh, dance at Almax. And on their first um, ball at the Marquise uh, ball, the Karas was dancing, was waltzing. Did I miss something? Oh, well, maybe is, was it because it was a private? Can you do mm. what you want in a private home? No, uh, not during the London season. It was almost to the season, though. But isn't mm-hmm. that an interesting, did Georgette Hayer miss the detail that <laughs> that uh, Karis would not have been allowed to waltz anywhere uh, in, in any public place, which essentially, uh, because of all the people there, it was a public place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's not an interesting detail. But she did waltz, according to mm-hmm. Georgette Hayer. Her <laughs> first time out. Oh, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. How did a coming out ball work then? Because obviously they would... the the debutantes would dance at that, but without necessarily going out um, to the all max. I think you could do country dances and the other dances, the, but I think it was the waltz. Like they said that they weren't oh, supposed to do until they were approved okay. or something. Okay. Yeah. Cause <laughs> there's a little I know about dancing. Well, you know, <laughs> well, and about 18th century dancing to be yeah, like, come yeah. on. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not like the 18th century is my period and I really know nothing about the dances. Um, I do know that the waltz was, um, you know, still relatively new at the time and was quite scandalous because, um, because of the proximity, the close proximity, you know, in country dances and everything else. Um, I guess the closest analogy for Americans would be like, you know, a square dance or something, right. Where people are joining hands and maybe going up and down columns, lines of people. Um, but you know, there's nothing comes into physical contact other than the hands. Um, and in the waltz, the man has to put his arm around the woman's body (laughs) around her waist. (laughs) Quite, quite alarming. Okay. I did think the, um, <clears throat> I liked the uh, description of Lady Jersey at the, uh, at the ball, you know, the fact that she was kind of trying to stick it to, uh, <laughs> to the sisters, you know, to, to Louisa and so forth. And for some slight done to her in, in school at some point or something, you know. No, it's like mean girls. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, that's what I clearly thought of. Yeah, tale as old as time. <laughs> Women holding grudges against yes, each other. Yes, yes. Um, yeah, it is really crazy, all of the machinations and um, <clears throat> and just sort of the the levels, I mean, it's kind of funny, I guess it, 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 it's such a visual novel because so much of it is people watching people 
and Mm -hmm. people watching people who are watching people, you know, so Lady Jersey, like everyone is, everyone is figuring that Karis is, uh, you know, that Elvis Stoke is attracted to Karis and that she is under his protection in more than one way. Um, But Lady Jersey is watching him and watching the way he interacts with Karis and she dismisses that idea as, you know, poppycock. She's like, nope, that's, that's not the way he, he is when he's, um, you know, and, and his friend, um, oh, Darcy, of course, uh, Morton, was that his name? Morton? Um, he, uh, he watches uh, Alva Stowe talk to Frederica and he thinks, oh, yeah. Maybe there's something there. So there's, and, and then we've seen, you know, Avistoke has been watching Karis. And so he comes <laughs> to the conclusion that maybe she doesn't want what Frederica wants. So everybody's yeah. just watching each other and trying yeah, yeah. to you know, read each other's minds. And um, yeah, I feel like there, we need to chart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Track who's holding a grudge against whom. And, um, you know, mm. how are they going to get their own back? Um, one thing that I, I like about, the book too is how um you know it, we talked about this a little bit last week about how fun Felix was um and we see Jessamy a little bit more in in this yeah. book. um and you know so you know even the the relatively minor characters really get sort of fleshed out and developed um any any thoughts on on the other siblings on um you know kind of what they're doing maybe I guess a little bit like what is their function and what are they contributing to the story and um any any reactions to to their shenanigans well I never knew that uh the early uh beginnings of bicycles were called pedestrian cure (laughs) (laughs) I'd never heard that before I, I guess it was supposed to be like a bicycle without a pedal was what it seemed like. Yeah, it made me think of the Flintstones car. You yeah, know? <laughs> you use your feet, yeah. Yeah, exactly, which, yeah, yeah. It, it, it sounds kind of fun and horrifying at the same time. Yeah, 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 maybe like a scooter almost, like, I don't know, it was, uh, but uh, that was kind of interesting, and and I mean, I, I, you know, I kind of felt for him. He seems to to to, um, you know, not almost like a middle child syndrome, almost. I guess where he doesn't really mm-hmm. want to make waves, and he doesn't really want to. Um, you know, he's he's very concerned. You know, he doesn't want to upset Frederica, and he doesn't want. <laughs> you know, have her own money and he wants to pay the Marquis back and, you know, all that. I mean, it was, he yeah, seems like he's more feeling than, than, than most minor characters, I guess. I, I, yeah, I thought they fleshed him out a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, more. Yeah. Three, it's Irene, three really significant, uh, the uh, iron factory <laughs> with the pneumatic lift, and uh, then driving to Richmond Park, and I was in Richmond Park. What a gorgeous place. To, now, when he's talking about a team, he's actually talking about four horses on the, I believe it was on the, the oh, it was on the Phaeton. It was, mm-hmm. uh, we talked about the Phaetons before. And uh, so, uh, Jessimum got to drive, uh, I would assume, just in the park, because the streets of London would be really bad. And then the pedestrian curricle i wonder if they had uh, air in the tires uh mm. i think it was two wheeled but then they got all excited about tricycles at one time so this mm. sounds like the 
before the tricycle, this pedestrian curricle, but really gave the boys a real uh, part of the story because much against his better judgment, the Marcus is uh, being dragged into these, uh, shall we say, entertainment development of the boys. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, uh, so I'm, I'm sorry. I, you're, everyone's so smart and you don't need me to be a teacher, but I'm going to do a teacher thing. Um, Irene, why do you think that is so important? <laughs> oh, because I read the rest of the book. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well then don't tell us. You can't cheat. Don't tell us. <laughs> sorry. Yeah, the, it's really, really important to recognize that the marquee is starting, is working very hard to um, to, and I wouldn't say ingratiate, but to support, yeah, to support the boys, uh, these two boys in, uh, he's written Karis off. She's, uh, in his opinion, he doesn't even realize that, you know, she can do anything uh, because she can't talk. She has no wit. Yeah. And uh, so uh, all she has is looks and, and very, uh, and nice manners. Yes. Mm -hmm. Polite manners, yeah. but uh, very little else, but his, interaction with the two boys is is really significant mm -hmm. in the development of the story mm -hmm. and also the development of him as a character I mean I, I'm also cheating a little bit because obviously I've I have read the whole book just <laughs> not within the last year or so so we do know how it ends um but uh you know we do see the the boys in particular drawing out Alverstoke in ways he, and you know we have again people watching him so his friends are surprised um to see the way he interacts with Felix and Jessamy um and and so it gives us as readers a different perspective you know because we're first when we first meet him in the first couple of chapters he's you know kind of rude and he's haughty and he's not very chummy with his sisters and you're kind of like okay this guy's kind of a you know, <laughs> not the nicest chap in the world. Yeah, a um, jerk. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's a nice word. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to keep it clean for the, yes, the public. Yes. <laughs> and um, and you know, and and he kind of takes on Frederica's uh, you know plea for help as an entertainment. You know, hey, I'm bored, and this will be a way to you know get under my sister's skin. So sure, why not? Um, but we see Felix and Jessamy kind of humanizing him a little bit more, um, where he does seem to have a sensitivity and a depth um, that we might not have ascribed to him early on. Where, you know, particularly, I think, when he's dealing with Jessamy, who you know, seems to have a lot of, of what they might call at the time sensibility. You know, he's just a very emotional <laughs> young yeah, man yeah. who's so hard on himself and you know, thinks everything ought to be just so and that... Um, you know, he seems to hold himself to quite a standard, you know, that he should be a lot more grown up than, than he really is. And Alva Stoke picks up on that and is actually quite, um, you know, kind. Uh, so, so we do, we do see sort of aspects of Alva Stoke's character being developed there that we might not have expected from our, our first introduction to him. And a really important factor about the choice of career that uh, Jessamy has made. Yeah, the thing about the becoming a minister and about, you know, I thought it was very, you know, very um, intuitive of 
the marquee to talk to him about, you know, making mistakes is fine because you have to be able to recognize that, you know, if you become a minister, you need to be able to understand why your, your flock may make mistakes like that, you know? Yeah. So what we would call today, you know, social and emotional learning, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. having that empathy and um, being able to connect with people and, um, you know, having a little bit of self-compassion, self-care. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Amistad was really ahead of his time. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And he actually, I thought it was amazing that he actually, uh, you know, kind of um, uh, tended to his uh, his his uh, his scrapes and everything mm-hmm. too. It's like instead of sending him to the cook or the butler or somebody, you know, it's like, mm. yeah, he's um, yeah, he has a heart. What do you? He seems yeah. much. Much kinder. But, but this will come back to us uh, as in Mansfield Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. eldest son inherits all the money and all the estate. The next son is either uh, army, government, or uh, into the priesthood. Right. Uh, that is really significant part of the culture mm-hmm. yeah. in uh, in 18th century, mm-hmm. 19th century England. Yeah, I know. I, I refer to it, the Regency, as the 18th century because in academia we ignore um, official century markers and we have what we call the long 18th century, which allows us to go through the Regency and generally most of the actual reign of, of George IV. And um, a lot of people who say they study the 18th century will actually go in up to like Queen Victoria taking the throne, which is, you know, a third of the way into the 19th century. But um, we still like to call it the 18th century, so. um, which, you know, in a way makes sense because it's not like, you know, hey, presto, midnight, uh, you know, 1800, yeah. everything changes. So, um, it's, uh, yeah. So I'm sorry if I confuse anybody when I call it the 18th century, even though it is <laughs> technically numerically the 19th. Um, ah, so yeah. that means we don't change until 1837. Um, yeah, some some people do extend it. I mean, and it's also something that scholars love to fuss about. You know, <laughs> when should when should we call it the nineteenth century? Should it be, you know, Waterloo or Queen Victoria or you know what? So um, it makes a lot of sense, though, <laughs> to kind of study that whole time as a period. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and that's what a lot of people look at. Is like you know, if you're looking at sort of. Um, big social markers and shifts in, you know, the way that people are thinking and, you know, artistic changes and stuff like that. Um, it, you know, like Jane Austen is much more talking about sort of 18th century kind of ideas and, you know, society than she is, um, you know, stuff that happened after she died, <laughs> obviously. Um, but it always kind of drives me up a wall when people, um, I try to be, not snooty about it <laughs> when people call Jane Austen Victorian. He's like, no, she, <laughs> she was dead like 20 years no, before Queen Victoria. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And they just, you know, if you've read a Victorian novel and a Jane Austen, you know, just they're, they're different. They're just, and, and I have recently discovered that I like Victorian novels um, in general as well. So I'm, I'm not condemning the Victorians. Um, they're a, Kind of a zany, but a fascinating bunch. Um, 
And and I, not to, to to get off on a tangent, but um, one thing that sort of introduced me to the Victorians is this wonderful book, and it's available on NLS. Um, it's called Parallel Lives, Five Victorian Marriages by Phyllis Rose. And it's just so fascinating. She looks at, um, let's see, Charles Dickens and his wife, I think Catherine, um, the Ruskins, um, Oh, I can't remember. George, uh, Marianne Evans, who wrote as George Eliot. Um, can't remember who the other two were. Uh, Carlisle. Um, oh, and uh, John Stuart Mill. Uh, and it's just, it's an absolutely fascinating book. And it's what got me to, to give George Eliot a try and, and read Middlemarch. And then I was hooked and I was like, wow, Victorians are, the Victorian literature is not as bad as I thought. <laughs> it is absolutely amazing. Mm. Um, so I hardly recommend that if, if you want to shift from Regency to Victorian at, at some point. <laughs> um, okay. Sorry. So back to <laughs> and Felix and Jessamy and Karis and Frederica. Um, I've kind of lost my place. Um, anybody want to, to chime in with something that, that caught your attention about either what we were talking about before or something completely new? <laughs> I do think it's interesting that the, the, the um, you know, like at the ball, uh, the fact that... Um, uh, the, the the various men that are you know after her and then you know the whole thing like the the I guess the the Marquis's heir there he's he's very interested and yes. Endymion the little yes. Greek god <laughs> yeah yeah and they didn't want the one guy there the soldier because he was gonna say something bad about <laughs> you know, but but it's interesting, and then the you know how Chloe gets involved and all that. It was it was interesting. Yeah, I mean, um, and and that's and that's kind of um, you know Jane Austen and and very Regency of of you know everything happens at the ball, and you see all yeah. of the yeah. um, you know Cupid running around madly shooting arrows willy nilly, <laughs> <laughs> um, trying to figure out who fancies who. <laughs> <laughs> what's gonna happen next between the lobster uh patties or whatever they're all talking about lobster patties it's like oh okay yeah, yeah. and and the sisters are just um you know opposite sisters are just suffering um you know it's a gorgeous ball and um and and I mean, oh we didn't talk about that moment right um where uh, Karis makes her grand entrance. And you know, officially, Avastoke is throwing the ball for um, his niece, Jane, who yes. is apparently not the world's most attractive young lady. Mm. And um, her mother, Avastoke's sister, has met Frederica, but did not meet Karis. And, um, you know, she thought that Frederica was a, you know, well enough. She was a pretty girl, but, you know, she didn't think of her as a threat. And so I guess she kind of figured that Karis would be in the same category and then there they are at the ball and um, the little pre-ball <laughs> dinner and Karis um, I love too that you know Frederica walks in first so yeah. you know she kind of blocks the view of Karis for a moment and then she you know, steps aside <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this vision of beauty Great theater yes yes <laughs> yeah um 
and uh, you know it's mm. like the, the sorts of things you see in you know Cinderella or something. You know, she walks yeah. in and everyone stops talking. I think one of the men, his jaw drops. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> kind of, um, yeah, over the top there. Um, but of course, Karis is you know sweet and lovely and unprepossessing and does not seem to think of herself at all as being um, you know pretty and she just thinks that, that men dance with her because they're nice um, mm-hmm. so she is uh, very innocent <laughs> <laughs> kind of the opposite of like uh, was it Isabel and nothing or mm. <laughs> yes oh my goodness Isabel. Isabella would eat her alive yeah yeah the opposites uh, there yeah yeah um, and, uh, and, and Frederica is definitely, you know, sort of the, the clever one um, who, you know, the, the hat making when she goes, when they go to the hat. Yeah. Um, and Frederica is basically, you know, pimping Karis out as a hat model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, yep, you sell us three hats for the price of one and we'll tell everybody where we got these beautiful things. Yeah, yeah. And that was a really fascinating study. I'm assuming that everybody with visual impairment has heard of Moorfields Hospital. And I was at Moorfields. Uh, they told me it was a really sad day. But anyway, um, it um, is uh, there was a, a pond or a swimming hole behind Moorfield Hospital. Did we get to that? Yes. Yeah. Jessamy and Felix go to um, some sort. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but they, they have some old guidebook. And so they go and um, they're going to swim in the pond, but it's too chilly. So, <laughs> Yeah. Because Moorfields um, uh, was a, a really significant um, um, place for people with visual impairment and blind people. Uh, they're still talking about Moorfields hospital as being, the most advanced research to support uh, blind and visual impairment in what is available for uh, supporting uh, people with visual impairment, eh? yeah. in medical stuff. Eh? Yeah. yeah, and Bond. We used to walk up and down Bond Street, but by that time I got there, you see, uh, Jackson's uh, uh, boxing. Um, no, was it called a salon or an import? No, it would be a salon. Uh, Jackson's was gone, so the uh, but all the shops. It was just the thing to do was to shop on Bond Street. Yeah. Um. I know. I just. I've. I've been to. You know. Some of the. I've been to London numerous times, and um, so I. I was tried to imagine um what the streets would have looked like um you know way back when but <laughs> it's it's kind of hard to do but um but yeah and uh, the but there is that emphasis on you know sort of the the fashionable world and um where you're where you do your shopping and and also who you know um and I, th- there's a small but very telling conversation that um, Frederica has. Oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Who, I think it might be one of the brothers, but she's explaining why um, their neighbor, Mr. Nutley, I think, um, oh. you know, he's been coming to, to pay calls and um, sending flowers to Karis and stuff like that. And Frederica is trying 
nicely to explain you know, class lines, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not in the running. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I can't. Do you, Do you remember who she was talking to when she had that conversation? I can't. Remember. I don't know, but to, but she definitely talked to the Marcos about it too, about how she yeah. wasn't going to have him keep yeah. coming by. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she was talking to Jessamy about that, okay, I believe, right. and yeah, yeah. and then you know, pointing out Jessamy's error and calling something. I didn't quite understand the context, but yes, she was talking to Jessamy about that. Yeah, that's mm. what I thought. Yeah, and it's mm. such a, a weird sort of delicate moment because you know she's basically she's trying to explain to him that the Nutleys are lower class. But she obviously doesn't want to use that word, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, have just seems think. pretty plain to me. <laughs> she <laughs> uses kind of derogatory, but I mean, yeah. you can't totally blame her. <laughs> that was the same as the uh, the the boat uh, on the paddle steamer that mm. uh, Felix mm. took to Margate. Yes. Uh, Jessamy would have uh, referred to the people that Felix was rubbing shoulders with as the great unwashed. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that was one of the, I lived at the manor house uh, with the family in Dorset. And that was one of the things that uh, was the most, um, how would you say it? The most derogatory thing. Uh, she was, Oh, military uh, from a family. They had an inheritance. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, heritage of um, upper class, not upper class even. Uh, yeah, the, the upper class. They had, she had an inheritance and the most derogatory thing she could say about somebody was they were common. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. This is, um, I mean, I, I have British friends you know, who tell me that a lot of those class vestiges are, you know, still in existence and that so much matters, you know, your accent and your vowels and whether you're dropping your H's or not, um, you know, that, that those things still matter. Um, and, and they certainly did at the time. And, and it's interesting. I mean, I, I don't want to belabor the comparisons between Georgette Hare and Jane Austen. And we talked about it a little last week, but um, I couldn't help thinking about that moment where Frederick is trying to explain, you know, that Mr. Nutley is not our kind dear, um, with, to, a conversation that Emma has with Mr. Knightley. I don't know if everybody's read Emma. Um, but you know, she's trying to fix up her little protege, Harriet Smith, another Smith, (laughs) um, (laughs) with, uh, with someone who basically Mr. Knightley says that, you know, Harriet's going out of her league, (laughs) you know, she should stick to her class and be satisfied with, um, you know, like the, the farmer guy and, and not try to get somebody who is wealthier and stuff like that. Um, and Emma is arguing with him about it. Um, but in the end, uh, Emma is, is wrong and, um, not to spoil, you know, the book for anyone who hasn't read it, but, um, Harriet does not end up with anyone that Emma has chosen for her. <laughs> um, so it's kind of thinking about that and, you know, the way that, um, you know, different characters in Jane Austen's time and in writing about that time period later that, that class does pop up. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's just something that the most remember. important thing is that those people who were in trade 
always intended that their children should marry into the aristocracy because then you can, if you have lots of money, you could, and this happened, uh, Winston Churchill's mother, uh, Mm -hmm. this happened really, it was a really significant part of British history when the uh, taxes and indolence of the uh, British aristocracy meant that there was no money left to run these big estates and these big homes and support the lifestyle. So they were importing um, America, and that's how Grace Kelly got married, a different story, but uh, they're importing this American money into the aristocracy in order to um, maintain the lifestyle that the families had been accustomed to. Yeah, that, that's cool. that's something that I remember seeing in a lot of like early 20th century novels, yes. and, you know, like Agatha Christie novels and stuff, where there's some American heiress who comes over um, to Britain. Like, and, like, well, that yeah, was really... Yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. There was really, you know, quite a bit of scorn for people with quote unquote new money (laughs) because it was made in the trade or um, made quickly. You know, it was the upper class didn't have to work for the money that they had. They just had it. Yeah. So that's why you were determined that your family, uh, if you were in trade and had a lot of money, you were determined that your children went to the right schools and that they married into the aristocracy because that gave them uh, a chance to then uh, participate in government and socializing. It made a huge difference in how, uh, how the, uh, the family was able to progress in society if you had a family member that was aristocracy. Yeah. And, and we see this um, in, uh, you know, with lots of different characters, actually, yeah. actually, in Frederica, like so, you know, Charles Trevor, um, the uh, Albert Stokes secretary. Um, mm. I think he's what the sixth son yeah. <laughs> yeah. of a country, um, mm-hmm. you know, parson or, or tutor or something. And um, so, Albert Stoke, um, in you know, one of these chapters that we just finished, is sort of contemplating Charles's future and how you know if Charles doesn't marry a woman from a well-established political family. Um, as an entree into that world, because that's what he's interested in, you know, politics and government. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, he's not going to get there, like, just on his own merit. He either has to marry into a family that, you know, has, you know, exists in that world, or he'll need a sponsor. And, you know, Albert Stoke is sort of thinking, okay, I can help him. I, you know, I know people, I can put in a good word and, you know, make sure he gets positioned properly so that he can then rise through the ranks and, you know, be the great statesman that I know he can be. Um, and so, you know, what you're, what you're left with there, though, is the really kind of sad alternate universe in which Charles Trevor is very able and fantastic, but he doesn't have Alva Stoke to sponsor him, you know, yeah. and then he has, uh, you know, pretty much no chance of, of making his mark on the world in that way. Um, so. It was sort of interesting. I'm sorry, the blanket statement always is, and it even applies many places today, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm -hmm. It was interesting that they did refer to the fact that they 
they were kind of afraid Felix might get really crazy and decide to go to America. You know? yes. <laughs> it's like it was kind of crazy there when they were talking about that. It's like I, I guess this was a you know, still when that was kind of a well, or obviously worse. very far away, but you know. Or worse than going to America, he could become a mechanic and <laughs> yeah, start yeah. in grease and dirt. Oh, and, yeah, and yeah. hang out with the unwashed. Oh, that would yeah. be... <laughs> yeah. we got to get this boy off to uh, Oxford, eh? <laughs> yeah, send him to Harrow, but quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Before he blows something up in his workshop. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, I, I think that... And this is one thing that I think that Georgette Hayer does so well is, you know, she does kind of just have these little nuggets. You know, she doesn't really belabor the point, but she has the conversations, you know, the characters making these little observations and she moves on. She doesn't preach to you or anything, but it's there. Um, all you have to do is, is notice it and, and know that she is pointing out something that, you know, was very real at the time and, you know, still is to different extents in different places. Um, so we haven't said a whole lot about Frederica, um, <laughs> except for the fact that, you know, she sees herself as, um, you know, a cross between a, a mother and an old maid <laughs> as, yeah. um, you know, as a sister in charge. Um, do you feel that you're getting to know her any better? Um, I mean, she and Alberstoke continue to have these, um, these sort of longish conversations um, in which they, you know, discuss all sorts of things. Um, any, any comments on, on those conversations, any discoveries that you're making about her as a person? I still feel like you don't really have a lot of depth with her. I mean, you know, other than the the sort of, you know, she's going to sacrifice for the rest of the, the family kind of thing and, and that kind of thing. I mean, there's a lot of that. And, and uh, you know, she she does seem somewhat, you know, she's, she at least talks about some of the men that seem interested in her. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I, I just, I don't know. I don't feel like there's a whole lot of, so far, I haven't seen that much real, you know, understanding of her personality other than the fact that, you know, obviously she wants to sort of sacrifice, sacrifice herself for the rest of the family. But It seems, I, it seems like you get a better idea of some of the minor characters, even more than you get a Frederica. I mean, one can, yeah. or at least I can sympathize with her. I mean, kind of being, I, I mean, I think Albert Stoke belabors the point that, you know, she's younger and, and whatever that, I, I mean, that's just. I think that she does have the right to believe, you know, what she does. She, yes, she's young, but she's lived a kind of a lifetime in a sense. Um, so <laughs> I think her experience does need to be appreciated more, but you still don't really get a sense of her as a person. You can't identify with her truly yet. You can kind of identify or get to love, you know, the audacity you know of um, of Felix and you can admire um, Jessamy's honesty and you know sincerity and whatever and I love um, Alver Stoke for his just (laughs) loving to have fun at the expense of others (laughs) you know I love that but you don't really get anything from Frederica yeah that's the way I feel too it's almost like she's been so self 
sacrificial for her siblings that it's hard to get a sense of who she is other than her role as protector of her siblings. Yeah. Um, But I think, I think that's a a great point Chanel too, that um, Alistair does sort of, um, you know, really insist on her being, you know, a green girl as he, as he phrases it. And um, you know, that she's young and, you know, shouldn't uh, put herself on the shelf, shouldn't write herself off just yet. And um, you kind of think, well, you know, okay, you might have a point, but at the same time, yeah, she has been, um, you know, the narrator reminds us a couple of times that she has been running her father's house for a really long time. Um, You know, before he died, he was um, ill. And before that he was, by all accounts, not the most reliable, upstanding guy in the world. <laughs> yeah. um, so it sounds. Oh, sorry. Oh, go sorry. ahead. No, go ahead. You were finishing a thought. Oh, um, uh, yeah. So it does sound that she did have to sort of, you know, grow up a little bit before her time. And maybe women. I mean, maybe she just didn't want to be attached. I mean, she, as we said, she enjoyed more power. And, you know, I think marriage was a huge sacrifice for women um, in that time and even before, and uh, because they had to give up some freedom, um, especially somebody like Frederica, who was in charge. And, you know, later on, she gets these proposals. I don't remember where exactly, but these people want to suddenly take control of her, of her uh, brothers and, and just different things. And, yeah. Be hard. Sorry, I'm distracted. There's a cat in here and he just sneezed. Bless you, Tick. Um, <laughs> um, I never know where the cats are until I close the door and realize I've trapped them and hope they don't freak out. <laughs> they're not my cats. They're my parents' cats. So we tolerate each other. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the, no, um, that's a, a great point that, you know, Frederica really has been in the head of the family for again, you know, quite a long time, even while her father was still alive. I think she says, um, you know, early on that he kind of, you know, deferred to her and, you know, was already sort of letting her run things as, as soon as her mother died. Um, and, you know, potentially even a bit before that, if, if her mother was occupied with the, the younger children or, you know, ill or something. Um, so she has been accustomed to, to being in charge and deferred to for, you know, I don't know, 10 years maybe. Um, so it would be hard to, to give that up and, um, you know, to, to literally become the possession of someone else. Um, and, you know, cause her, you know, she does have the, the brother who is sort of, you know, the head of the family. Um, but we haven't seen him. Um, I mean, he, I think yeah. he is at, you know, he's at school. I think he's at Oxford or something. Um, so, you know, it, it's not that he's, uh, you know, just shirking his duty. Um, but um, he's, he's been an absent figure um, so far. So that really, again, reinforces our perception and understanding of Frederica as the, the head of the family. Um, and maybe her thought is that she's still got, you know, even though eventually when the brother marries, she'll kind of be, you know, kicked to the... Uh, <laughs> to some little cottage probably or something, you know, but, uh, but, you know, she probably thinks since he's still in, in school or whatever, that she's probably got a few years because a lot of those, it seems like they, 
a lot of the men didn't marry till they were, you know, 30 ish or something. And yeah, well, you couldn't meet a girl at college. At the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It would be a while before we got co-educational no. <laughs> universities there. Um, but yeah, I, I know, Tig, I'll open the door for you. There you go. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Sorry, Kat. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and she, Frederica, um, I think, did mention that earlier that when she was kind of explaining to Alverstoke, um, you know, why she was so eager to make a good match for Karis, um, that this was her opportunity to, you know, to bring her out and make sure that she was set up because she was looking forward to this time when their brother would marry and then what would happen to the sisters. Um, yeah, yeah. And then she says, you know, they do have a little money from their mother, but, you know, she, she recognizes that day as, you know, the end of her reign. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so she's kind of trying to you know, wrap up loose ends um, while she still has, has the time and um, the power mm-hmm. to do it. Um, see, I had another thought about her and it just flew out of my head. Um, I think I've, I've been kind of trying to, um, to keep track of the, the conversations that she has with Albert Stoke. Um, and, you know, kind of measure like when he is, because you know, he, he definitely prefers her company to Karis. Um, you know, he, he finds <laughs> um, it, it difficult to have a conversation with um, Karis. Um, I think this here, somebody else, there are a couple, you know, I said last week that I love, I'm going to reintroduce Pudding Head. Um, yes, yes. Um, and also Slow Top, I think. I like that one. <laughs> Um, but they refer to poor Karis as a, a ninny hammer. <laughs> yes, ninny hammer. Yeah, that. and a pea goose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm going to have to bring those back and uh, <laughs> test them out on my siblings. <laughs> I'm the oldest of of, of my lot, so <laughs> you'll see how that goes. I'll report back. <laughs> If you survive, huh? <laughs> well, you know, social distance. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> One of my brothers is in New Zealand, so I'm pretty safe. <laughs> You're safe from him, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Alberstoke has you know, definitively said that he prefers, um, you know, talking to, to Frederica, um, to, to talking to Karis, and, um, you know, which is what gives his friend a little bit of a, of a raised eyebrow, you know, like, Oh, he's really interested in talking to this, this young woman. Okay. <laughs> what does that signify? Um, and, and, it, and just kind of trying to figure out like, um, you know, does, do you think he, is he showing the same sort of um, uh, concern for her as he is Jessamy or um, cause he seems to kind of switch it up. You know, sometimes he's kind of harsh um, he, he delivers her quite a lecture um, when he encounters her on the street um, alone. And she says, well, I'm not really alone. My aunt is just in the shop back there. But he, you know, he's <laughs> quite harsh to her. Um, and then other times he's kind of needling her and, you know, tries to get a rise out of her. Um, but she doesn't always recognize it. Um, so any opinions for people who haven't read to the end? <laughs> um, on, uh, on their... The repartee. But I think. Go ahead, Ruth. Go ahead, Ruth. So, um, one of the things that I've decided about 
Albus Stoke is that he is, in essence, a good judge of character in the end. He's had to be because somebody always wants something from him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, at this point, I think he's quite intrigued by this woman who, yes, um, she would like something from him for her sister, but it's quite selfless. And I think he can't quite figure out this person who doesn't want anything from him per se. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point um, that she, she is asking for something, but it, it really is completely for her sister. Um, and, you know, not even like reflected glory for herself, you know, because even when his sister is asking him, will you throw a ball for my daughter? It's not really for her daughter. (laughs) It's, it's for her. She doesn't want to spend the money. She wants to everyone to say, oh my goodness, your daughter had the best coming out of the season. Um, and, and yeah, uh, Frederica seems completely devoid of those kind of, um, more selfish motives. Tabitha, I wanted to let you know you've got five minutes. Thank you. You're oh, welcome. <laughs> and, and Vernon is accustomed since he first came into society as having a handkerchief thrown at him. I like that one. <laughs> Get a handkerchief thrown at you. What do you do? <laughs> Gotta walk on by, right? Because if you stop and pick it up and hand it back to her, she'll flutter her eyelashes. And like, oh, how clumsy of me. <laughs> no, no, he had a much better system. If they really got pushy, his system was to just all over them flirting in, in public places and, and just becoming totally enamored with them. And then the next time he meets them somewhere on the street, at a ball, at a party, he doesn't even remember their name, which has to be the most insulting way of dealing with a person. Eh? Yeah. I, yeah. I have a question from uh, last week because I missed you guys because I went to the wrong group. Um, I, lo- I loved um, the saying, I think it was... Um, Alva Stokes' uh, sister uh, is described as being on the shady side of 40. (laughs) (laughs) So I need some clarification. I love that. So does that mean like just on the other side of 40 as in the early 40s or on the shady side of 40 getting close to 50? Well, I, you know, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I think it's definitely over 40. Um, I I don't know how, how close um, to 40 that would be. Um, You'll find out when you meet Elizabeth. (laughs) (laughs) I love, I love that anyway, the shady side of 40. I'm going to use that one for sure. I think I'm going to start using it. I also like to when um, uh, Frederica asks his opinion of, of one guy that she has been assessing for, <laughs> to see whether he's suitable for Karis. Um, he says, you know, Abizak says, oh, no, he's too old. He won't see 30 again. Um, and so other people <laughs> do see 30 more than once. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but not this chap. <laughs> he's seen it once and that's it for him. <laughs> yeah. And I really like the insult of wanting to take Karis and put her in a frame. I yes. thought that. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. They want to frame Karis because they know she's going to get old. And <laughs> and oops, is that a later one? 
better quit. Uh, no, no, that's yeah, that's in that um, the section, and and I love that they that they actually do hate that, you know, that they don't take it as. Um, you know, as flattery or, oh, he, he wants to, you know, immortalize her and her beauty, you know, but they're, they're instantly insulted by it. You know, (laughs) they recognize that he is objectifying her and, um, you know, only loving her for the way that, I mean, he's not loving, loving her, but, you know, only admiring her for the way that she looks. And the implication is of course, that as she did age, um, if she did lose her looks, and she loses know, her value. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah, as a, as a, as a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Physical beauty is the only thing that counts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. In a woman, uh, yes. the only thing that is important in a woman is physical beauty. Mm-hmm. And when that's gone, you're, you know, it doesn't matter. You should have been put in a frame before or turned into a statue before you got to the point where you're. Physical beauty is disappeared. Eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tabata, you yes. are one minute thirty away. seconds away. Sonic <laughs> <laughs> okay. That was so much fun. Time flies. I, really- I yeah, it's yeah. always such such a delight talking to to this group. I love you guys. Um, so <laughs> we can quite easily remember that next Monday on the twenty first, we will have read through up to uh, through chapter twenty one, and uh, we'll pick up where we left off and uh, see what what fresh excitement is in store for us then. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much. It's been a joy, and I hope everyone has a lovely week. <laughs>